Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Just like the gentleman just said, we do want to help you shake up the status quo. Welcome to the future of the future. If you're just checking in Season 3, Episode 2, happy to be here. And let's see what the buzz on the street is, the buzz over the world. Airwaves is a quote from Bill Gates today. Listen up. Success today requires the agility and drive to constantly rethink reinvigorate, react, and reinvent. I think we need to crochet that on a pillow or spray it on the side of a wall somewhere. Let me tell you what we're going to be talking about. As we transition from an information age of rapid technological revolution to a new digital age, and the term may be overused already, but that's where we're going to go with today. A new digital age where technology intersects with how we live and work, massive changes are sweeping the business landscape. Come on, all of you out there, you're on the business channel. You're listening to us as business audience, this is important to you and you know what we're talking about. It is dynamic. It's changing. Nothing is the same. So with new technologies, and we're going to be talking about some of those, you are seeing intense stakeholder scrutiny. You're also seeing changing business models and work models. And what does this mean for the ability of business leaders to sleep at night? Well, they might not be sleeping so well. They are feeling incredible pressure to succeed in the new normal. I'm not even sure what the old normal was, but we think we're in a new normal. What's the best way to meet these challenges head on, face on, just tackle them? Be agile. There's that word, those five little letters, A-G-I-L-E. That means adaptive, resilient. You need to find innovative ways to create new value, but you still have to be prepared to take care of business. That means controls and efficiencies and getting the job done. Oh my, sounds like a big challenge. We have two panelists today, just two. They're so smart, we only have two. And they're going to help us figure this out. So agility is our theme. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Tony Klimas. He was on a while ago with us. He is a principal and global PI finance leader, performance improvement, that is, advisory services at EY Ernst & Young LLP. And shout out to all of our good friends at EY. And joining him on the panel is Matt Jennings, a newcomer to Game Change. Matt is a global vice president of Leonardo at SAP. So let me circle around. It's a small table today. Let me circle around to Tony Klimas. And Tony has sent us a quote from General George S. Patton. If you're too young to remember, Patton lived from 1885 to 1945. He was a senior officer in the U.S. Army, commanded the U.S. 7th Army in the Mediterranean and European theaters of World War II. But he's best known for leadership of the U.S. 3rd Army in France and Germany after the Allied invasion of Normandy in June 1944. And this still is very important to a lot of people who remember those wars. Here is the quote. If everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. I love that quote. Tony Klimas, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Bonnie, it's great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. We're very happy to have you back. I was so happy when your name popped up, and they said, guess who's coming back on the radio? It's Tony. So, Tony, are you a fan, a follower, and an adherent to the philosophies and the wisdom of George Patton? Tell me how you picked the quote, and what does it have to do with our topic, please? Well, yeah, Bonnie, so those who know me know I actually began my working life in the U.S. military. And uh, although it was a long time ago, I think I was heavily influenced 
at a young age by some of the leadership lessons that we can take away from some of these great leaders of history. And now Patton was certainly not without controversy, but if you go back and sort of study the time and who he was, I mean, he was really an innovator, right? So the whole use of armor in battle was very new in World War II, and, and Patton was really the guy leading the way. And uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, as somebody who was thinking differently, someone who was thinking outside the proverbial box that we always like to talk about, and somebody mm-hmm. who's really out there on the leading edge of using this sort of new technology, I think there's a lot we can learn from that. And I think a lot of that applies today as we, as we deal with this digital age and, as you call it, the new normal. Yeah, and, and, and Tony, thank you for that. I, I appreciate the reference to the people who made things happen, and, and it is important. I think there, there are quotes out there about standing on the shoulders of giants, people who took that leap of faith, right, and made things different and made them happen. My question to you is if, if you had a room of people, let's say at a, a seminar, a webinar, of uh, some kind of guru is standing up in front, and he's saying, what do you all think? Oh, we agree with you, Bob. We agree. Oh, that's good. And then Bob looks at him and says, well, dang, if you're all agreeing with me, Somebody's not thinking very hard here. You got to think on your own. How does that work? Is that almost a principle of uh, fail fast, fail often, or design thinking? And let's shake it up and let's not all follow the leader. Just a little sidebar here, Tony. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much a sign of the times that we're in, right? And you know, as a consultant, yeah. we like to think we're, we've got it all figured out. But the reality is, there's so much change happening in today's world that anybody who tells you they have it all figured out <laughs> isn't being straight with you. Right, and so, so I think we're all out there learning, thinking, and, and if we're all sort of thinking alike, and this is sort of why I chose this quote, you know, some, someone's not really thinking that hard. So I think we have to question ourselves, we have to check our premises, we have to really sort of think about the conclusions we're drawing here, because there really aren't any specific right answers, and there's a lot of different ways we can take advantage of all this new technology and capability that we have. Thank you very much. Very exciting. And I know you and Matt are going to be giving us some hard look at real case studies of what's happening, what agility really means, and what it's good for. So thank you, Tony, for joining me. Good opening. And now let's turn to my second panelist, Matt Jennings at Leonardo at SAP. And Matt is waxing poetic today. He has picked a quote from Robert Frost. Let me give a little background. Robert Lee Frost, 1874. Isn't that funny? He was pretty much a a compatriot, lived a little longer on either side than George Patton did. Uh, 1874 to 1963, an American poet, originally published in England before he became known in America. He was honored many times. He received four Pulitzer Prizes for poetry. He was one of America's rare public literary figures. He was almost an artistic institution and very widely quoted, maybe not recently, but he was. He earned the Congressional Gold Medal in 1960 for his poetry work, and in 1961, he was named the Poet Laureate of Vermont. Well, how about that? I'm thinking maple syrup and a poem. I don't know. That would make me very happy, Matt. (laughs) I'm on a diet now, and I can't have the maple syrup, but I can think about it. So here is the quote Matt has selected from Robert Frost. In three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. Matt Jennings, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. We're delighted. So talk to me. Big fan and follower of Robert Frost? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily a huge fan of Robert Frost, but certainly, you know, the the, the quote there uh, is applicable, I think, to every day. We we either choose to, to make the most of opportunities and, and situations we have in front of us or not, but regardless, you know, the time continues to move on. 
Okay, so how does this relate to what we're talking about, this agility, this it goes on, it is the concept that if you're a laggard, that's one of my favorite words in a conversation like this, if you're a laggard sitting on the side, afraid to dip your toe in the pool, afraid it's too hot or too cold or too bubbly or whatever, uh, life is going to pass you by. Is that another way of saying what Frost said, life will pass you by as it goes on with or without you? Well, I think so. If you look at the the topic and the context of putting that in business, you know, information Mm -hmm. is moving faster than it ever has, and I think it will continue to move even faster in the future. And we can choose to take advantage of those opportunities in front of us by obtaining that information and moving quick with the information or not. But regardless if we don't, uh, life will move on, and and opportunities will move on without us, Uh, situations, customers, whatever that may be, uh, it will continue to move on whether we decide to embrace it or not. There you go. There's the, there's the word of warning. Thank you very much, Matt. Pleasure to have you on board. Have to do a quick shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP. Brad has just retweeted my Bill Gates tweet from the opening of the show and my colleague Jane Liu working on thought leadership team at SAP. Jane is tweeting and thank you for joining us. Us and I see a couple tweets from each of you and EY Alliances is also tweeting and we appreciate that. Some colleagues of Tony's. So let's circle back to Tony Klimas. And Tony, we'd love to know where you're calling from today and what are you drinking if it makes you really happy? If not, what would you rather be drinking or what do you plan later? Tony? Well, I'm talking to you from New York City today and it's still the morning here and I have a nice hot black cup of coffee in front of me, which is, I guess, not very exciting or interesting, but it's probably the best thing for uh, the time of the morning that it is. Probably is. Does it have a label? Does it have a name? Do you have a favorite (laughs) coffee house? No, it's it's literally, uh, I don't really know what it is. It's in a white plain cup. (laughs) So it's not exactly what I would call a... You know, really expensive coffee, but it's uh, it's got Tony, all the right you're, ingredients. You're killing me here. Okay, that's a good news. That's a good news. Now, question <laughs> for you. Question for you is, what would you rather be drinking? Any plans for something different in your cup later? Well, I always like a nice glass of wine or a craft beer. So maybe uh, maybe later today, um, after the after the working day is done, anyway. And what's your favorite wine? Anything special? Um, lately, I've been drinking, I mean, I've always liked the heavier reds, cabs, right? And some of the super Tuscans are nice. Um, but it kind of comes and goes, right? So it's always fun to try new things. There you go. You, you're an agile wine appreciator. How's that? Yeah, there you you got it. Absolutely. We got it. Okay, good. Glad you like that one. And Matt Jennings, where, where would you be today? Where are you? And what's in your cup? Or what are you planning on drinking later? <laughs> well, I'm in uh, coming to you from Chicago today, and I have a, a nice cup of coffee in front of me as well. Uh, but if I had my preference, I'd probably be, you know, on a beach with a Mai Tai uh, somewhere, but that's not the case in Chicago today. How, well, and tell me, what's the weather? The weather is chilly. It is about six degrees at the moment. Six degrees? Seriously? Fahrenheit? Wow. <laughs> that's correct. Wow. Well, well, I moved, Tony, when you knew me last, the last time you were on, I was in New York on Long Island, and I recently relocated to Durham, North Carolina, and much to my shock and dismay, we had snow here two weeks ago. It was at least eight inches of fresh snow, and everybody said, oh, it's light, don't worry about it. Well, being from New York, I felt it was my my obligation to shovel, which I hadn't done because I haven't lived in a private house in over 40 years, and I borrowed a shovel from a neighbor, and I worked until I worked until I worked until the driveway was clear, the sidewalk was clear, the front walk was clear, the porch was clear. Ah, what good exercise. And would you believe, and you're not going to be surprised probably, 48 hours later, it had all melted. 
Yeah, I think so it's there. typical for that part of the country. So probably you don't have is, to worry but about it, it too long. What they say is if you don't like the weather in Durham or in Raleigh or Cary or anywhere around here, just wait 20 minutes or 48 hours and it will change. It is cold here. It's been in the 20s in the morning. I think we're going up to 60. Big range of temperatures here. But I think it started, I asked my Alexa, I have to be quiet because she'll talk to me from the other room. I think it was uh, 24 here this morning. So, Oh, no, 32. 32 is the low today. That's not so bad. So six burr. I'm just going to say burr to Matt. Uh, Tony probably remembers this. Matt doesn't know me very well, but they don't let me go near anywhere near caffeine radio show days and Tuesday is a double header so I have a show an hour after we're off the air so all I'm allowed to drink is water and I have a pretty yellow straw because I'm celebrating that the sun is shining and there's no more snow and that's all there is so for those of you listening around the world this is the future of the future with Game Changers episode 2 of season 3 shout out to Brad Borkin again and his wonderful team for renewing this very important topic this theme series we have our special guests today are Tony Clemus at EY and Matt Jennings at SAP Leonardo. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Yes, we're taking a break early, but we have a lot to bring you on the topic of why does your company need to be agile? How do you get there? What's in it for you? It may be hard work. It may upset the status quo. Topple everything you know. There's a poem I didn't intend, and Robert Frost probably would tell me it's time to end. (laughs) I like that. We're going to go take a break. 90 seconds. Don't go away. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive. They shake up your status quo. Get your thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow, and move you in new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on The Digital World. Learn how to be the savvy leader who looks ahead to the next wave of business innovation. Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP on The Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. 
And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Indeed, we're back in the future. The future is what just happened when I paused for a second there, and now it's the past. It's that fast. And our topic today is Agile Business for the Digital Age. Are you ready for the new normal? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but you can't sit still because it's going to happen. My special panelists today are Tony Klimas at EY and Matt Jennings at SAP Leonardo. We're going to kick off the roundtable with a statement here from Tony's notes he sent me before the show, and we're going to do a little level setting. The statement is agility, and Tony puts quotes around that, can be an overused term today, but we're going to first ask Tony to please tell us what is your definition. Then we're going to find out after a couple minutes what Matt thinks of that. So, Tony, what is agility in your way of looking at it? Yeah, so, so Bonnie, I think from our perspective, when we talk about agility, we're really talking about some different qualities and characteristics of an organization, um, specifically that it's very responsive and, and adaptable, right? So it, it kind of easy, you know, able to change very quickly mm-hmm. and with a fair degree of resilience so that it can sort of stand up to the, you know, some different challenges or attacks that might occur in whatever it's trying to do. It's also one that's very insightful, right? So can, you know, capable of unlocking value from the information um, in that organization in, in ways that are maybe new and, and innovative. And then it does all those things sort of in a very efficient way, right? So, so you know, it's good to be responsive, adaptable, insightful, unlock value from information. But if you can't do those things and maintain some controls around cost and efficiency, you're, you're really not sort of doing what you need to do. And so, I think the, the point is, is that an organization that has those qualities, that is agile, is going to be more suited for this new normal that we're talking about, right, for the, for the changes that are sort of tied to the mm-hmm. digital economy and all the other things that are happening in the world today. So tell me something. We said agility can be overused. Who's overusing it? Is it just a buzzword that people are using to criticize a company? Matt, I'll get to you in a second, but I just want Tony to clarify. Is this something that people say, well, your company's not agile enough. You're really out of the running. You're not dynamic enough. The market's changing. You're not resilient. You're not bouncing back. Is this a term that's being used in an accusatory fashion, or is it a term that's being used in an aspirational fashion? We need to be more agile, or both. Tony? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's accusatory, but I, I think the key is is that it's often used sort of as a as a substitute or a proxy for the for speed. And and while being fast and quick is certainly part of being agile, I think the reason we're choosing the word agile is because we mean a lot more, right? It's all those other things about resilience and, and insight and you know, doing that all in, a, in an efficient movement. I like to think about a, a, an athlete who's agile who's very, very good at their sport, um, but also does it with an economy of movement in a very, very deliberate way. And so that's, that's a little different than just sort of pure speed. And I think that's often the place where people start to overuse this word when they're talking about just sort of doing things faster. Um, you know, we certainly we have agile um, development methodologies. We have, mm-hmm. you know, agility used to describe sort of doing things quickly and, and, and in a nimble way. And, and while that's certainly true, I don't think we're capturing the full meaning of what we're trying to communicate when we talk about an agile business and, and what that really means from the digital economy's perspective. Thank you. Great. Matt Jennings, we'd love to get your thoughts. You do not have to agree with Tony. We'd love to know what you think. <laughs> no, I, I certainly agree. I think the idea of being agile in an in a organization is about, you know, being able to react quickly and reacting quickly to competition, to product changes, things like that, really being able to address the needs 
in a way, uh, not only for the market or customers, but also for employees. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the data exchange is happening at a faster pace than I think we've ever seen, and we'll continue to see that speed up. And so I think organizations need the ability to explore without restriction necessarily. Often organizations are tied to their processes, which are put in place for good reason. Uh, but those can tend to be, you know, um, anchors, if you will, to hold back from being strategic and really looking at the market and taking those requirements and moving with those quickly, uh, maybe not necessarily to change, but certainly to learn. And I think learning needs to happen a lot faster than it used to. Interesting question. I want to circle back to Tony and then Matt. I have a question for both of you. I ask this often when we talk about the need for change. Where does it come from? Is it something that a company hears from outside, from the customer base, seeing the competition getting a leg up on the marketplace? Does it come from new employees, perhaps leading edge, cutting, or the, the older, the younger, sorry, the younger millennials coming in and saying, what, you're still doing it that way? Does it come from management taking classes and saying, you know, business really is moving and we're not moving with enough speed and purpose? Tony, where, do, where does this need to acknowledge the need for agility come from? Whose head does it have to be in first in order to make it happen in a company? That's what I want to know. Yeah, you know, I think historically people have always acknowledged the fact that change is constant, right? So there's nothing new about that idea that, you know, we, we always need to be sort of thinking about how to do things differently over time. Uh, what's interesting about the time we live in now, however, is that the change is being driven by a whole bunch of external forces coupled with the availability of, of uh, you know, incredible new technologies, and, and so, you know, we don't always see sort of the things lining up the way they're lining up now, right? We still have sort of the stakeholder scrutiny. We have the regulators. You know, we have the competition, which are, which are causing us to think about change. But now at the same time, we have all this new capability. And, and if we don't take advantage of it, we risk getting left behind. And, uh, and, and so I think, you know, we're sort of in a unique time right now where, where not only is change constant, but it's happening at an incredibly quick pace and people really have to get in front of it. They really have to think and innovate and stay ahead of, you know, whatever's coming at them. And that, and that can be very challenging. And in fact, it can be so challenging that some people freeze like deer in a headlight and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and just sort of, you know, wait to see what happens. And that's probably the worst thing you can do in a time like we're living right now. Okay. Matt Jennings, agree or disagree? What do you think? Where does it have to come from, inside or outside of an organization, at the top, the bottom, or from all sides? I, I certainly think that it needs to come from all sides, but certainly from a leadership perspective, uh, it has to be able to drive that change. Um, you know, it has to drive thinking differently. It has to accept the idea that we may explore some things quickly that may not have a positive result, but there's other things we'll explore, you know, that will have a positive result. And I think, you know, the pace of that comes from the market. I think gone are the days where, you know, you can have an edge just because you're large and you, you had a lot of intellectual property and knowledge that, say, a startup didn't have. But in today's environment, a startup can react as quickly, if not faster, than any other organization. So I think it's mm-hmm. true that, you know, if you look at the ability of startups today and their capabilities, they're much more advanced. And I myself, having did my first startup in 99, uh, it was much more difficult to do that startup than the second one that I did in 2010. Uh, the technical availability and availability of data and things like that made me so much more competitive so much more quickly in 2010 just because the, the information was available, technology had advanced so much, and if you fast forward that to today, 
Uh, I suspect it would be even simpler to do it today, although maybe the market challenges would be a little bit different uh, because of the competitive nature. But I think that change comes from all directions, and we really need to react to it uh, in, a, in a way that's you know, traditionally not normal for organizations, especially large organizations. The final thing I'll say to that is last week I was at an innovation conference uh, in San Francisco, and one of the comments from the keynote was, the pace of change will never be as slow as it is today. And I thought about that for a while, and I thought, wow, that's interesting, because cause what's coming next? I mean, there's going to be more knowledge sharing and more technology capabilities coming that we can't even really fathom at this moment in time. Yep. That, that's the, is that the job of futurists, Matt? I have shows where we invite futurists on. We have a couple of, of people who've been doing this with me on Game Changers for a couple of years. Is that, that the job we cannot even fathom? It's their job to tell us what they think we should fathom because it might happen. Any thoughts on that before I go back to Tony? Well, I certainly think it's their job to get us to think about it yes. <laughs> and what it could be and where it's going and certainly have the evidence to show where we have been. I certainly think so. Thank you very much. Tony, what's your thought on this fathoming? And, and I'm going to go to a statement from Matt in just a minute. But, Tony, I want to wrap this part up. What do you think? Well, yeah, Matt just made an excellent point about the startups mm-hmm. and kind of the fact that it's easier today. And I think every organization, no matter how large and complex, probably needs to have a little bit of that startup culture as they, as they look at these new technologies and how we leverage them, right? I mean, just to, just to give one example, um, you know, the, the cloud has become very important to all things digital because of the, some of the capabilities that come with sort of doing business in the cloud and keeping data in the cloud and, you know, the ability to get access to it very quickly and, and, and leverage it in, in sort of new ways. But for a lot of people, that's a scary topic, right? I, you know, I, I mm-hmm. lead our finance practice at EY. I deal with CFOs. And, you know, that's not something that CFOs take lightly when you start talking about having, you know, financial data um, in a cloud-based environment. But, but the reality is, uh, you know, I think our position would be you have to Look at that as part of your, your overall sort of design for your business processes, and you, and you can't be scared of it. You have to understand it. You have to be a, you know, a, sort of willing to take some risks and, and, and make a leap, and that's where this sort of startup mentality that, you know, that Matt talks about, I think, is, is important, and, and you have to figure out some way to capture that, you know, even if you're the largest, most complex uh, you know, organization with a, with a 100-year history, you still have to act like a startup these days. Thank you very much. And speaking of that, I have an interesting statement here, a very quotable moment here from Matt Jennings. Uh, Matt, I'm going to read this, and, and let's see where we want to go with it. You say, organizations must be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mature product companies traditionally think engineering out as opposed to market in. And you mentioned before the pace of data exchange has leveled the playing field and forces a discussion on specific market and customer requirements, options, and alternative products are now known. Talk to me. This is a big statement. How do you get comfortable with being uncomfortable? What kind is that? The startup culture and mentality, as both of you have mentioned. Matt, what do you think? Well, I think that certainly is a big part of it. I think, you know, I've worked with large organizations. I've consulted with large organizations. I've been with small organizations. And one of the things that you see in large product companies is they invest a lot in R&D. And that R&D drives innovation and drives product enhancements and things like that. Oftentimes, the engineers have a pretty good idea as where they need to go and where they need to drive a product, and that is product out they tend to get uncomfortable when requirements come in from the market at a fast pace that's moving faster than their research moves. And they need to find the proper way to balance that and embrace that. 
And that makes them uncomfortable because it changes a traditional process by which they've developed products and services in the past. And, you know, oftentimes I, I consult with some of these organizations and they, they don't necessarily know where to start to address the market opportunity uh, based on those requirements coming into a product. And I often challenge them to say, look, sometimes the best way to embrace it is to just start doing it. And you mm-hmm. don't know the answers necessarily going in, but getting started is a lot better than being left behind. And so I think there's a mentality that needs to change in some of the large organizations uh, that traditionally is just ingrained, and they need to, you know, as you said, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that can be challenging for some culture and some organizations. Thank you very much. Tony, talk to me. Agree or disagree with Matt? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And I think Matt's making a good point talking about sort of some of the different business functions, right, sort of the inside-in versus sort of outside perspective. And I, and I think one of the ways that we see companies dealing with this issue yeah. deal with it well is they're, they're thinking about these challenges and these new technologies in a more strategic manner, right? So, so you know, if the, if the R&D people are innovating new products, the salespeople understand what's happening and, and, how, they, and how they need to sell it, right? Because if you don't have those two groups aligned, for example, you're going to have a lot of disconnects and you're going to create even more discomfort in this, in this environment, right? So, so stepping back, being more strategic is, of course, very important, but it's also very challenging, you know, in this in this time, right? Because we don't know all the answers. We don't know exactly what's happening. It's hard to to step back completely and be completely strategic. And then that's where I think the point that Matt just made about sometimes you just got to start moving and and heading in the direction and then and then adjusting. And then that's really where the the agile part of this comes in, right? The sort of being resilient and adaptable. And and as long as everyone sort of has the beginnings of a plan, um, you know, you can you can sort of head in the direction. And then adjust on the fly, um, sort of, sort of in a, in an iterative fashion. And, and I think that's, you know, the companies that we see that are doing really well in dealing with the the, the challenges they face, are, are very much taking that approach of having an overarching strategy, um, but then moving quickly and then and then adjusting as they need to as they as they kind of face whatever comes their way. Thank you very much. Any uh, any other comments on this? Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Anybody want to talk about that anymore? Any examples? Tony, you have any case studies you want to talk about for that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think one of the examples, um, you know, I, I have a, a client right now that's finishing a major ERP implementation that they've been working on for many years. Um, and they're actually, uh, and so usually, you know, if you do this for a while, you, you see that when people finish a transformation like that, they they will often stabilize it and spend some time realizing the benefits, and then they'll start thinking about what comes next. And so this, I think this particular situation is interesting to me because for the first time ever in over 20 years of consulting, um, I have a client that's actually already started on the next iteration of transformation related to technology, even though they're still finishing the last iteration. And, and it, was, it was quite interesting. You know, there's a lot of controversy internally when they, when they decided to head down this route. Um, but I think it's, it's their acknowledging that things are changing so quickly, um, and, uh, and I love the way Matt said they're, 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 they're never slower than they are today, which kind of implies the acceleration that's occurring. And so they realize that, they're dealing with it, and, and while they have one group sort of finishing off, uh, you know, the sort of old stuff, they actually have another group now that started up thinking about the future. And, and to me, that's a sign of an organization that's being sort of adaptive and flexible and kind of living up to this idea 
of, of agility that we're talking about. And, and while, you know, it ultimately is going to cause some discomfort and, and mm-hmm. frustration and people aren't going to know where they stand, ultimately I think they're making the right choices here in the way they're approaching this. Tony, a question for you. Does this make it easier to hire a quote-unquote good people, people with that cutting-edge startup mentality, if you say we're not a static status quo type of company, we are shaking things up, we are on, want to maintain a leading edge, a competitive advantage, come be part of that kind of a team that's in, always in a design mode, in a thinking mode, in an agile mode. Is this something that, that companies are or could be using as a, as a pull to grab great talent out of the, the talent pool today, Tony? And then well, I'll ask Matt. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I, certainly I think that's important. But, you know, as always, actions are going to speak louder than words. And I, I haven't met any company, especially when, you know, when you're out recruiting millennials or, or some of the young people coming to the organization who tells them that we're boring and, and status quo and there's nothing happening here, wouldn't you please come be a part of us? So I think, uh, you know, I think you can, you can talk the talk, but I think people are also very smart and they see, they see your actions, they see what you're doing, they can sense the culture. And is it really a culture of innovation, rapid change and excitement? Um, or is it someone who's just sort of hanging on for dear life and afraid to do anything and, and just sort of trying to say the right things? And so that's, yeah. I think that's the key is that the actions are going to speak louder than words in that scenario. Good point. Matt, any comments on that? Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think not only is it is it used as an opportunity to recruit millennials who have information at their fingertips and maybe think, you know, differently about how to approach projects, but I also think it's an opportunity for retention for employees that really want to embrace and, and feel mm-hmm. not only connected to the organization but challenged within the organization about how they can apply different thinking uh, to go solve problems. And I think from my experience, it's been a huge retention tool because when you have that with an organization, uh, people look forward to going to work every day to say, how am I going to solve this problem next or how can I think differently about doing this? And I think it has a real positive impact on retention uh, for the organizations. Thank you both. I realized that was a sidebar. We weren't planning to talk about it, but it occurred to me that there are, we've talked on many of our shows. We had a series last year that we'll be renewing later this year called Changing the Game in HR. And we talk about the fact that there are now five demographic cohorts working side by side, maybe not always happily, but working side by side in many companies. That's a huge spread of, 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 of habits and styles of work, of learning, of the ways people get their work done, of what they can and can't tolerate in terms of change. Tony and Matt, that's what we're talking about. And that's why I asked earlier in the show what this does to an organization in terms of uh, where does it come from? This, yes, we will have frequent change. Yes, we will maintain a a competitive edge. No, we will not be a boring, stayed old, on the sidelines kind of company. Is everybody really on board with that? And I, I think we've answered that question, bringing in the new intelligence, the new agility, the new mindset that, yes, we're going to do that. What does that do for people who've been around a while and don't want to see change? Any quick comments on that, Matt or Tony? What do you do with the people who are the well, core of the company, the stability? I, who wants to I think it, go ahead. It, I, I think it makes them uncomfortable. I think, yep. you know, when there's a traditional way of thinking and, and how they've gone about business and adhered to processes, I think it makes them uncomfortable to feel like they're either breaking the rules or doing things in a non-traditional way. You know, I had the opportunity to sit down with a CEO of a, of a mid-sized firm, and one of the things he challenged a team with, he identified a team, and it was long-term associates with the company and short-term, and basically said, your job for the next 12 months is to put us out of business. 
I want you to think so radically differently about our business mm. and our vulnerabilities that I want you to put us out of business. And, and I asked, how did they react to that? And he yeah. said, you know, the newcomers to the organization were excited. The people who were uncomfortable were the people who had been there for 20 years and, and all of a sudden they're thinking about their livelihood or anything else, but they should be thinking about how do we make this company better? And so it really created an interesting dynamic uh, for the organization. That's exactly what I want to know about. Tony, you have an interesting case to go with that too, or you want to comment? Well, just, just, just a comment, right? I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting that we bring people into this discussion because it's actually something that's often left out of the discussion and, uh-huh. and, and, and at the, the peril of the people who do that, right? So, um, and, and I, you know, I think tenure is, is one thing, but I think in, in reality, whether they're you know, new people or people who have been around for a while, I think as you go through this transformation and sort of deal with these, these challenges of this digital age, I think it's really important to step back and, and think about, you know, do I have the right people? Do I have the right skill sets? Do I kind of have the right attitudes, right? And, and so sometimes that, you know, a little bit of that caution doesn't hurt anything as long as it's sort of kept in check. And at the same time, you kind of want that, that innovative spirit of wanting to sort of disrupt um, things and blow things up and, and create new things. And you want to kind of put those two things in harmony, right, in, in the best way yes. possible. And in order to do that, I think you really have to think about the skills, the, the, the sort of competency models that you've created for the different jobs. I mean, there's a whole sort of series of things that you have to worry about from a people perspective. And I think one of the mistakes I often see uh, in, in my world is, is people who are so focused on the technology and the business process, and they just kind of assume the people thing is going to take care of itself. And unfortunately, that's, that's not the case. You really have to put some, some effort into thinking about it and paying attention to it because that can, you know, you can do all that other stuff right, but if you don't get the people part of this, you, you're going to trip yourself up in the long run. That's why I brought it up, because we often don't have people in the conversation. That's exactly it, uh, and thank you for noticing that. To me, that's a very critical component. We speak sometimes in, in an insulated or isolated box about companies should they should. Who is the they? Who are the leaders? Who are the people who are following them? How does it get done on a real basis? And thank you both for, for acknowledging that and going with that. Uh, I want to, I'm looking at notes here. We have a couple places to go. We've got, oh, we've got about, uh, 10 minutes or so until we go to our predictions round. Tony, do you want to talk a little bit about the CFO having a unique seat at the table of digital disruption? Cause that's something we don't normally think of. I think a lot of companies still think office of finance, green eye shades, spreadsheets. Heck, no, not anymore. You want to just mention that, Tony, the, the CFO in the role of yeah, well, digital disruption? Of course, I'm very biased, but of course, I think finance is the sexiest function in business. But, um, <laughs> but again, thank you for that. <laughs> a, strong, a strong bias as a, someone who leads our finance practice and is focused on the CFO. But, but I, really, I mean, I really do believe this, right? Um, uh, you know, finance is in an interesting spot um, because of the fact that, you know, not only do they, the CFO have to have to sort of figure out what all this means to his or her organization from a from sort of a disruption perspective and you know how how these technologies can be leveraged and how we can make the most use of of all the data we have but but at the same time because the business itself is faced with investment decisions and you know has scarce resources and can can sort of you know go down several different paths um the the role of the CFO has become much more strategic um, in helping the CEO and the other leaders understand the ROI on some of these investments and, and how to think strategically about where, where we need to spend the money, make the investment, and, and try to drive change. So, so it's really creating a lot of tension and stress 
for, for people that are already sort of in a, in a tough spot with all sort of the regulatory scrutiny and some of the other things that they're dealing with, but, but now sort of having to understand what this means for the larger business. And, and of course, I guess I'm speaking about, again, businesses that get this right, that are thinking strategically about it. Um, but the, the CFO has a very important role to play because he or she is really sort of at the center of a lot of this and, and can sort of be the, the honest broker when it comes time to thinking about, you know, wh- where should we be investing where should we be sort of moving ahead, and then where are some other areas where we maybe want to kind of take it easy a little bit and, and, and slow down? Thank you very much. Matt Jennings, are you surprised by what Tony just said? I'm putting a, a note here in, in Twitter. I'm saying uh, Tony Klimas at EY surprised us by saying the CFO has a unique seat at the table of digital disruption. I'm just putting that out there, Tony. You're now second. You're more famous than you were 10 minutes ago. I'm going to make sure of that. <laughs> Matt Jennings, <laughs> any comments on that? Well, I think it's very confirming for how, you know, we've always approached opportunities with customers. You know, we go in and look at business processes and how will digital technologies impact those business processes and define those requirements, you know, to implement change. And one of the things that we've traditionally done is allowed uh, the CFO it, as part of that discussion because as we start to look at, you know, changes in the business that may impact cost or enhance efficiencies or increase communications with vendors, et cetera, we want to know the impact both on a business process perspective but also from a fiscal perspective. And when the CFO can validate that with us, it really brings the organization together to say we're impacting positively, you know, business process and workflow, we're impacting positively the P&L, and then you really have a cohesive group that comes together and says we need to go do this and we need to do it quickly. Why would we wait? And so I would say that's often not always thought about as we go into these digital type of projects. It's traditionally been more of a technology type of initiative, but when you bring the CFO to the table and the, and the other operators of the business, it radically speeds up the decision-making process. Interesting. Okay, that was a surprise. And now I, we have time for one more topic, I think, before we go to our crystal ball. And Matt Jennings, I'm looking at your notes, and let's talk about that old hackneyed phrase, resting on your laurels. And here's what Matt told me before the show. He said, large, successful, and known organizations often rely on their brand and past success. There's a sense that this goodwill buys them some time in the market to determine an innovation strategy and where to place their investments. Unfortunately, the opposite tends to be true. Rapid and active market participation creates knowledge through both success and failures. There's that fail fast, fail often I mentioned before. Matt, Tell us, who is relying on brands and success? How long can they sit on their laurels and say, look at everything we've done. We're the best. Maybe you're not tomorrow. So uh, do you want to comment on that? I bet you can, yeah, yeah, Tony. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not um, I mean, I think there's a couple things, right? And, and I think it's a good point about, you know, especially the larger organizations that have been around for a long time, right? And I think, you know, history is littered with companies that, uh, and, I, and I won't name names to protect the innocent, but you can go back mm-hmm. and, you know, these are common business school case studies of companies that, sort of fail to disrupt their, their own products um, because they, you know, they figured they didn't need to, right? And they thought we have a commanding position in the market and, and, uh, and, and we can just ride that for a while. And, and, uh, and then before they know it, some upstart has come along and, and sort of displaced them. So I, so I think that in itself um, it has always been there. But I think, I think today, um, you know, you've got the, the, the sort of capability for that to happen in a much more rapid fashion. And, and you really have to sort of be thinking about each of these new technologies, right, whether it's blockchain, the Internet of Things, cloud, 
um, intelligent automation and robotics, right? I mean, there's a whole host of technologies here. And all it takes is for one, one competitor, one upstart, to sort of figure out some new and innovative way to use that in your marketplace. And you can quickly find yourself sort of on the outside looking in here. So, so I think, uh, you know, it's an especially valid point for larger established companies um, and, and again, this goes back to that startup mentality, right? So do I need to set up a skunk works? Do I need to have an innovation hub? Do I need to have some people sort of on the side um, trying to figure out how to put me out of business? Um, because I guarantee you your competitors are doing just that. And, uh, and, the, and the bigger you are, the harder you're going to fall when they, uh, when they figure that out. So um, I think it's very you. important in this day and age. Thank you. And guess what? Matt was there all the time. He could hear us, but we couldn't hear him. Matt, that's the good news that you could hear us. So now that I turned your topic over to Tony, why don't you come in as well on organizations relying on the goodwill of the brand and past success? Good, bad, or ugly? How long is that going to help them out? Well, I think you've got organizations that, that do that for a couple of reasons. One, they do have good brand and goodwill in the market. Um, they also have a deep customer base and deep revenue streams that they want to protect. And so they don't want to necessarily move as fast as they should, maybe to protect that. But as I've talked to startup organizations who have told me, look, the only advantage that we have as a startup is our ability to copy what our competitors are doing, meaning the large companies, and to be able to do it really, really quickly. And so I think larger organizations need to recognize that, that the advantage of being large and having that brand isn't as maybe as great as it used to be because large, smaller organizations can move very, very quickly and do exactly what they're doing. So that tells you that large organizations then need to move much quicker than they have in the past while still recognizing that they do have a good brand and a good position in the market, but that is all changing. And so I think it's really creating an interesting dynamic uh, for the future for these large, you know, traditional successful organizations. Thank you very much. Uh, very, very interesting. I'm intrigued by the concept that the goodwill is going to carry them. And let's let's take this back to our people discussion. We have just a few more minutes before the predictions. Who in the organization is going to be the one to perhaps go on the other side of the, the battle line if it's drawn? Uh, Tony, let me start with you and say, no, we're great. They love us. Come on. Versus, are you kidding me? We've got five upstarts disrupting the industry. We've got customers screaming for make for me. We want everything we want and we want it in 24 hours. Who's going to have that battle? How ba- Who will the, uh, the, the victor be? Tony? Yeah, I mean, from an organizational perspective, I think it could be anybody, right, who sort of sees what's happening and, and acts on it. And um, so, so, you know, I, I think it's important. To, to sort of spend some time thinking about how do I want to establish that in a more formal way, right? Because right now it does happen in an ad hoc fashion, but the the disruptor and the innovator isn't always recognized, right? And sometimes they're even squashed and pushed aside. And so we certainly we certainly wouldn't want to do that. Um, but I but I think I see this a lot now, where where every function, whether it's marketing, finance, IT, um, you know, the good ones are are setting some people aside, challenging them to innovate within their function, and then and then sort of at the at the corporate level. You might also have some people, either an extension of your R&D or product development or whatever it is you do in your company, who, who are really focused on um, sort of disrupting the business and figuring out how to do things differently. And so I think you have to make that a more formal process, put some structure around it, and then you're going to really start to see, see results. Very interesting approach. Uh, Matt, you want to make a quick comment on that, and then we will in one minute go to our crystal ball. Matt? Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a leadership discussion inside of an organization, and it does take input from 
all corners of an organization, if you will. I think if you look at how mm-hmm. Gartner has looked at digital transformation, it's really there's two types. It's transformational or it's optimization inside of an organization. And so, you know, you're either going to be move really fast and disrupt an entire industry, or you're going to look at your business and your processes and disrupt yourself internally uh, to make yourself more efficient and more agile to move in other directions and make the right investments, et cetera. So I think it's a, it's, it's membership, if you will, of everybody in the organization really focusing on, you know, how do we become faster and better and, and consume data quicker? Great. Good, good points. I'm sure our listeners are appreciative. I'm going to circle back to Tony Klimas. Tony, because they're just the two of you, we have lots of time for our predictions versus the usual 60 seconds, slam, bam, you're done. I can give you about two minutes for your predictions, maybe even two and a half. So what's coming down the pike, as we like to say sometimes, what's coming down the pike, Tony, in terms of the use of the word agility? Will it become the Tony Klimas factor or the, or the Matt Jennings effect? Will we not talk about agility in the next year to two years? Uh, will we stop talking about digital disruption? Will we start talking, stop talking about the digital age? What will we be calling all of this? If you want to include that in your prediction, I'm, I'd be very interested in hearing what you have to say. Tony? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think agility, as we've defined it, as a set of attributes that a company has to have to sort of meet these digital challenges, you know, that's not, that's not going away, right? I mean, uh, as we pointed out, the, the pace of change is accelerating. I think from a you know from a crystal ball perspective though, I think that we're going to see the biggest changes and the most interesting things happen in the in the very fabric of how we organize our businesses and our companies, right? And, and I think this is going to manifest itself in a, in a couple different ways, and and a lot of this you know you can trace it sort of directly back whether it's the the introduction of intelligent automation and robotics, the role that that blockchain and the cloud are going to play. Um, the, the way we sort of manage risk and think about risk. I mean, there's a, there's a whole host of factors at work, but the net effect of all that from sort of a, you know, my crystal ball perspective is that if you, if you go forward five or ten years, the, the organization that conducts business is going to look dramatically different than, than what we see today, right? Than the, you know, in some ways, one could argue we're seeing sort of the end of the 20th century creation known as a corporation and, and, and how we structure our various business functions and reporting relationships. And, and so, you know, there are some, some parts of the business that are going to become very automated and go away. There are other parts of the business that are going to become, and hopefully this is going to be around sort of the insight and the value add part, that are going to become more, more important and, and we're going to have the ability to sort of put more efforts into them. But I, th- I think you're going to see some of the business functions becoming much more specialized um, I, I have talked about in other forums about you know, more of a guild model when it comes to finance or marketing or, or some of the business disciplines and, and even the way we employ people, right, and the way people have relationships with the companies they work for might become um, different than sort of the models that we have today where you're hired and you, and you work there and, and, and maybe you go do something else at some point. So, so I think a lot of the impact of all of this stuff, this agility and, and this digital sort of transformation is going to it's going to take place in the, in the actual fabric of how we organize, how we hire people, what people sort of think of as their job. And that's going to make it all, I think, a little bit scary. And, and, and for some, you know, they're going to have a tough time sort of dealing with that. But ultimately, I think it's going to make the work that we do more rewarding, more interesting. And, and somewhere on the other end, um, we come through this and we're, we're fully into this new normal that we've talked about. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of benefits um, for all of us. Um, 
with respect to sort of you know how we think about our, our jobs and our careers and, and what we're doing. So, so that's where I see a lot of changes happening. And so I guess we can come back in a few years <laughs> and see whether it was true or not. Well, I'm uh, planning to be that's, around, that's so I'm there. <laughs> I'm planning to be around. Quick question. The, the gig economy, is that part of what you call the, the guild model in job descriptions and, and how and who companies hire? Is the gig economy going to help fuel this with an opportunity to hire people on a per-project basis and then say, bye-bye, we don't need you anymore. Is that going to help? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's part of this, right? I, I mean, there could be functions in, in finance, for example, where you don't need people all month, right? You don't need, so, so you that's might have right. groups of people that, that go off and work with different companies throughout a month and, and more of a contracting model. And for some people, that'll be the right answer, right? They'll actually like working that way. Other people might want to be in some other traditional, more traditional format. So yeah, that's a huge, a huge part of what I'm talking about. And I guess the other thing I should mention, I also see an increasing role for the, uh, from a, a skills development perspective um, around simulation and, and around sort of um, training becoming more important because a lot of the entry-level jobs in business um, are, are the ones that are being most impacted by sort of this intelligent automation wave that's passing. And, you know, when I came out of business school over 20 years ago, my first job was managing accounts payable in, a, in an auto um, manufacturing company. And a job like that may not exist in the very near future because, there won't be a need to have a person in that role. So how are That's you going right. to get those sort of entry-level skills? And, and I see simulation and but training. But, Tony, they'll always remember you. I need, I need to go to Matt. Matt, I've got 90 yeah, seconds sorry. for you. I'm so sorry. Matt, go ahead. We need your prediction, please. Well, I certainly think the advent of technology, you know, Internet of Things, blockchain, some of the things that, that were mentioned, machine learning, robotics, all are going to have a dramatic impact. I also think the gig economy, I have some, some colleagues, some former colleagues that have totally converted their career. They're out of their industry. Now they're just doing gig work, you know, across various industries where they have expertise. I also think there's going to be a large demand on academics uh, in universities for STEM initiatives for the younger generations coming into the workforce. I think there's a large demand there for technology and engineering and those types of skills uh, to be further developed uh, and bring into, you know, industries and business and things like that. So I think we're going to see a rapid pace of change, and I think it is true that it will never be as slow as it is today, and I think we'll continue to see that change, and we'll need to find a way to embrace it and continue to be uncomfortable. You certainly wrapped that one up with a nice red bow. I appreciate that, Matt. You touched all the bases. Tony Klimas, Matt Jennings, I kept the two of you working very hard and doing a lot of talking during the whole hour. That's what we have when we have a two-person panel, and you both rose to the occasion. I really appreciate all of your insights and your your agility. Ah, you were agile panelists. I think we can go. make that statement. There you go. I knew you were the right Thank guys you. for the job. Shout out to Brad Bork and, for, and uh, 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 let's see, Lisa Chalmers also put together the show. I think we have to give the credit to Lisa. Lisa, great job. You got the right guys for the panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm going to give you my call to action because we got to go, and I uh, will be back in one hour with a special edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers talking about four letters that will change the world starting this May, and the four letters are G D P. Are enough said. So here's my call to action. Tony Klimas, Klimas and Matt Jennings, thank you so much. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. I'll be back in one hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, 
tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.